Welcome to Frankly Judaic, a podcast that explores cutting-edge Judaic studies research conducted at the University of Michigan. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. Like most Jews living in Muslim lands, the Jews of Algeria had over the centuries built a vibrant culture with homegrown traditions, institutions, and religious practices. Tying it all together was the Algerian Jewish community's unique dialect of Judeo-Arabic, which rendered Arabic and Hebrew script, much like Yiddish, a German dialect written in Hebrew, spoken by Jews of Eastern Europe. For centuries, the Algerian dialect of Judeo-Arabic was spoken and written by Jews as an everyday language and also had some liturgical functions. But starting around the 1860s, Judeo-Arabic began to be used by Jews throughout the Muslim world for what scholar Avner Ofrat refers to as political writing. So in my project, I look at what I call the coming of Judeo-Arabic political writing in the Arab world in the late 19th century with special focus on Algeria. I look at newspapers, at treatises, at petitions, and I try to understand how this coming, this burgeoning political writing in Judeo-Arabic changed or at least shaped concepts and ideas of politics, of the public sphere, um, and to see changes in the ways in which people situate themselves in geography and history or in space and, and time, and what this particular this particular language is, what possibilities this particular language and writing in this particular language um, gave to the different authors um, that I look at to develop their own concepts of modernity, of identity, and of the self. Ofrat is a lecturer in modern history at the University of Bremen in Germany and a fellow at the Frankel Institute for Advanced Judaic Studies. His current research project focuses on how, during the later half of the 19th century, topics that were once considered to be religious in nature and others that were confined to the private realm of family and friends shifted to become fodder for public conversation and debate. So, all of a sudden, you see matters which are traditionally discussed in the rabbinic literature being discussed in journals and newspapers. So these are shifts which I think are extremely important and allow us to see firsthand how politics is being done and how the very idea of politics and the political changes over time. For Ofra, the shifting uses of Judeo-Arabic from private to public are fascinating and important in several ways. For example, they help deepen our understanding of Jewish history and culture. It's about understanding and appreciating the sheer plurality and diversity of the Jewish world, of Jewish history, and of Jewish life in the Mediterranean and Arab world. It's about introducing a language and a culture and a culture of writing that hasn't really been looked at into our understanding of Jewish intellectual life in the modern age. Then there's the colonial context. Algeria had been a French colony since 1830, and so exploring the emergence of Judeo-Arabic political writing helps us comprehend not only how Algerian Jews were able to maintain their language, but also to further develop and revive and vitalize its own language. 
even when faced with a colonial power that very much tries to introduce notions of uniformity. And finally, Ofrat says, Judeo-Arabic political writing opens up new ways of thinking about modernity, which for a long time scholars have seen as something dominated by European states and European philosophy and political thought. But in the last 20 to 30 years, historians and other scholars have started to look into different notions of modernity throughout the world in the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. And I think by looking into political writing in Judeo-Arabic, we can actually trace and unearth concepts and ideas and perceptions of being modern that are completely new, concepts which we haven't been aware of until now. To appreciate the turn that Judeo-Arabic took to become a language for political discourse, it's important to understand just how old the Algerian Jewish community was. Jews had been living in Algeria for centuries, so basically since antiquity. Some of them even predated the Arab conquests of the 7th century. So we're talking about a very old Jewish presence in North Africa at the time when the very term Algeria did not even exist because the name Algeria is a modern one. The Algerian Jewish community changed and evolved over the centuries, but well into the 19th century, it was for the most part rooted in local customs, traditions, and ways of life. And when French and other European Jews looked at Algerian Jews, they saw a community that from their perspective was unmodern and backwards. And that was actually one of the reasons why French Jews pushed for Algerian Jews to be made French citizens so that they can be brought under or into the institutions of the French state so that they could be brought into the French schooling system as a means to put them on the path towards modernity, assimilation, emancipation, you name it. Unlike Algerian Muslims, Algerian Jews were in fact granted French citizenship in 1870, which is important, Ofrat says, because only citizens were allowed to print and publish newspapers. And during the late 1870s, Algerian Jews did begin publishing newspapers, but not in the way that French Jews anticipated. Instead of publishing newspapers only in French, Algerian Jewish newspapers were often published in French and in Judeo-Arabic. Many commentators and observers in France are extremely upset. And you can see articles in French newspapers in France, you know, expressing a lot of frustration at the fact that, you know, this is what they got for granting citizenship to Algerian Jews. Non-Jewish French officials were also perturbed by Algerian Jews' decision to publish in their own language instead of solely in French, which for French officials called into question their status as French citizens. And in fact, one of what I think is the most fascinating documents in French colonial history is a document where a French official in Algeria says, well, actually, Algerian Jews aren't French, and the evidence is that their language is Arabic. So he uses their Arabic language and he says they speak Arabic in their own dialect and they write it in Hebrew script. Well, how can they be considered as French? Some Algerian Jews did value French citizenship and advocated for it. 
In the French editions of newspapers aimed at a French audience, Algerian Jews refuted the idea that they were not worthy of French citizenship. And in the Judeo-Arabic editions, writers spoke to their own community, explaining the rights and duties of citizenship. But the Algerian Jewish community was not about to immediately abandon the language they'd spoken and written for centuries. Instead, they used their citizenship status to publish a wide variety of documents covering a broad range of modern topics. For example, in the 1860s, before the rise of Judeo-Arabic newspapers, the Algerian community wrote a petition soliciting French citizenship. And that is a petition that is written in Judeo-Arabic and is signed by hundreds of Algerian Jews. And that is a text that articulates ideas of participation and belonging to the French state and ideas in the end, or ideas ultimately of being modern, using not the state's language, but one's own language. And then, of course, as we've already mentioned, starting in the 1870s, Algerian Jews began publishing newspapers. Which is a new genre, not only in the Arab world, but also in the Arab world. The newspaper as a, a relatively short and accessible document that is printed on a regular basis and is disseminated to more or less broad readership with the intention of reporting and commenting on the issues of the day. Many newspapers focused mostly on local affairs. You know, internal squabbles within Jewish communities and fights between different families and at best some local news from other cities or from other cities within North Africa. But some newspapers also featured other types of articles. That are almost like short treatises, where the authors or writers would comment on broader abstract matters, such as, for instance, religion and civilization, or anti-Semitism and the Jews, or newspapers and the Jews. So these are almost, let's say, political and theoretical commentaries on the broad issues that preoccupy Jewish writers and readers at the time. Now, as I noted earlier, Algerian Jews had been using Judeo-Arabic for centuries for mostly mundane, everyday purposes. Hebrew was the language of high-level rabbinic discourse and biblical commentary. After 1830, when Algeria became a French colony, French became the language of scholarship and modern thinking and writing for Algerian Jewish intellectuals and elites. So how and why, from the 1860s onwards, was there an explosion of political writing and discourse in Judeo-Arabic? Several factors drove the phenomenon. For example, the adoption of print technology in the Arab world during the 1850s. Of course, print technology had been around for a while, but for many different reasons, it didn't really catch, basically, in most of the Arab world until the 1850s. But from the mid-19th century onwards, we see a rapid spread of printing houses in Arabic. And that spills over to printing houses in Hebrew and Judeo-Arabic as well. In earlier times, texts in Judeo-Arabic were printed mostly in Europe, mainly in Livorno in Italy. But the rise of printing houses in the Arab world, and consequently also in the Jewish Arab world, challenged the European monopoly. What you see from the 1850s onwards is printing houses in North Africa, controlled and owned by North African Jews, and hence dedicated to new agendas that were perhaps not present before. 
Jewish printing houses were instrumental in the rise of Judeo-Arabic newspapers in Algeria and throughout the Arab world. But printing houses are expensive to build and run, and they wouldn't have been possible without another important factor driving the birth of Judeo-Arabic political writing, namely the rise of certain Jewish families to prominence and wealth throughout the Arab world. Families who helped provide the funds needed to build printing houses. These families benefited from two further modern developments, new and better modes of transportation, such as better roads, railroads, and steamships, and faster and easier access to capital. More efficient and reliable transportation helped create networks throughout the Jewish world, spanning Europe, Palestine, the Middle East, and North Africa. Along these networks moved people who brought with them news, information, new ideas, and new technologies. Ofrat's research focuses in part on a figure whose life and work exemplify this phenomenon, Shalom Bekash. He is born in Mumbai, in India, in 1848. He then moves to Safed in present-day Israel, in the eastern Mediterranean, where he is ordained as rabbi. He then serves in Acre, not far away from Safed, and then in 1878 settles in Algiers. As Bakash moved from country to country and region to region, Ofrat notes, he left traces and picked things up along the way. No one moves entirely alone. People make connections, people meet other people. And so that movement, which we can trace very nicely, creates those networks. And by the time Bakash settles in Algiers, he is actually pretty well connected to figures and movements in Palestine, but also in Europe. In the 1880s, Bakash published articles in Hebrew newspapers in Europe. He also established his own printing house in Algeria and founded a journal that appeared in the early 1890s. And he continued to publish books with printing houses in Livorno. So we can trace those ties and those connections across North Africa, the Middle East, Europe, and all the way to India. And it's our job as historians to trace the paces of the figures that that we look at, to trace the trajectories, to understand what made them leave, what made them migrate, what made them settle where they did, and what connections they made along the way, and how they maintained these over decades. Bekash's weekly newspaper, Beit Yisrael, is also a good example of how the networks he traveled help spread knowledge and information throughout the Arab Jewish world. If you look at different issues of his newspaper, you would see news coverage that stretches from North America to Dahomey in Africa, to Montenegro, to Palestine, to Iraq, and all that in just one issue. So there's a circulation of news, of information about political events throughout the world. Bekash's newspaper and other papers would also quote other newspapers at length. So you'd see journals and newspapers in North Africa quoting or reprinting articles and news from Jewish and non-Jewish newspapers, either in Egypt or Palestine or Europe, indeed. So it's not only news, it's also commentary on news, commentary on current political affairs. 
Finally, Bakash and his work are examples of how the cross-regional networks resulted in a mixing of Judeo-Arabic dialects, which in turn spurred the sharing of news and information. Bakash's native tongue was the Arabic dialect of the East, known as the Mashrek. But when he comes to Algeria, what is called the Maghrib, and when he starts publishing his books and then starts to publish his own newspaper, he very clearly adopts at least some components of the Maghribi Arabic dialect spoken and read by Jews locally. So you see a very clear and conscious attempt to address a local readership and to do that by adopting the most central features of the syntax and grammar of the local dialect. Judeo-Arabic political writing reached its high point during the last few decades of the 19th century and then started to fade. By the second decade of the 20th century, it had effectively died out, due in large part to the advancing and increasingly powerful French colonial presence in North Africa. Which also entails education in French, so later generations just lose both the ability and the need to use Judeo-Arabic for political elaboration. The rise of Hebrew as a Jewish national language also sped the demise of Judeo-Arabic. And so, the rise and fall of Judeo-Arabic political writing was a relatively brief phenomenon, lasting only about 50 years. But it matters, Ofrat says, because while we tend to believe that history is written by the victors, there's great historical and scholarly value in looking at the roads not taken. Because that allows us to reconstruct or unearth the choices that people made at different historical contexts or situations, the different choices and alternatives that were available to them, and the conditions under which certain choices were made. And although Judeo-Arabic has more or less disappeared as a living language, it played an important role at a particular time, when neither colonialism nor Jewish nationalism were so powerful that other alternatives couldn't exist. In other words, the flowering of Judeo-Arabic political writing helps us change from seeing history as things having happened as they were destined to, to a more open-ended view. So it's about realizing the contingency of history, and also, in the end, seeing the beauty of it. Because there's a beauty in diversity, there's a beauty in multiplicity, there's a beauty in the different languages used by different people and communities at different historical moments. And it would be such a shame if that were to get lost. You've been listening to Frankly Judaic, a production of the Jean and Samuel Frankel Center for Judaic Studies at the University of Michigan. The podcast is produced by Conversa. The executive producer is Maya Barzilai. You can find and subscribe to Frankly Judaic anywhere you get podcasts. And if you like the show, please give it a five-star review. Thanks for listening.